Every once in a while, when you go online, you might run into one of these lists uh, that gets updated from time to time of actual announcements that have appeared in church newsletters or bulletins or websites uh, that communicate things that are actually happening but are also unintentionally funny because of the way they happen to be worded. And uh, many of you know that one of my favorites among them was the announcement, and I quote, that this year's Peacemakers Conference has been canceled due to a conflict. Well, aren't they all? Anyway, uh, whenever I preach on a passage from one of St. Paul's letters to the Corinthians, I often point out, as I did just not long ago, uh, that one of the things for which the Corinthian church was known in the first century was its conflicts and uh, some flat out bad behavior as well. And in today's passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we have one of those conflicts which may not seem very relevant to you and me today because it has to do with whether it was uh, wrong to eat food, including meat, that had been sacrificed to idols or false gods, which I realize is probably not at the type, top of your list of uh, existential conflicts in, in your own life. And yet, uh, it's not without its lessons for you and me for our relationships, for our behavior, for our church, and for life in the year 2021 with all of its conflicts and its disagreements. The situation is that uh, first century Corinth, which had a population of the hundreds of thousands at the time, also included a number of temples that had been built to these mythological false gods like uh, Apollo and, and Aphrodite and dozens of others that I would be much more familiar with had I paid attention in eighth grade when they taught us this stuff. In fact, if you go to Corinth today, you can still see the ruins of some of those temples. But one of the consequences of this pantheon of gods is that a great deal of the food that was consumed in the city of Corinth in the first century had been ritually slaughtered as a sacrifice to one of those mythological false gods or idols. And then after the sacrifice had been made, then the food would be taken uh, by the priest or maybe the person who made the sacrifice and, uh, or it would be eaten uh, around the temple after being cooked or barbecued by groups of people or it would be uh, shipped off to the markets and it would be sold uh, to people including, and here comes the rub, Christians who were members of the Corinthian church. And this gave rise to a boundary issue within the church, uh, where some people maintained very strongly that the practice of doing this, the practice of eating food, including meat that had been sacrificed to idols, was flat out wrong, and that it was, it was tantamount to idol worship itself, and therefore a betrayal of their faith in the one true God, their savior Jesus and his spirit in their lives. Which frankly, makes perfect sense to me. While other members of the Corinthian church maintained that they were doing no such thing and that eating this uh, sacrificial leftover, even with their pagan friends, had no spiritual or religious or theological significance whatsoever, and that in fact, eating with their pagan friends is exactly what they as Christians ought to be doing, because that's exactly what Jesus would have been doing. And besides that, how are you going to introduce somebody to Jesus and invite them to go with you from the temple to the church if you don't meet them on their turf? which frankly makes 
perfect sense to me. And yet push is coming to shove here and it gives rise to the question of who's right and who's wrong. And how is Paul going to turn this divisive issue into a peacemakers conference and get the members of the Corinthian church who were deeply flawed but dearly loved through their conflict? And for that matter, how are you going to do that in this year of 2021 with all of its conflicts, all of its disagreements, which is why I think this passage actually is relevant and comes with a number of lessons for you and me. And it begins uh, when Paul uh, applies a little bit of pastoral sensitivity to the situation and he turns the heat down on the conversation uh, with an answer and a response that is both logical and it's theological as well, as he reminds the Corinthian believers that strictly technically speaking, they're really not worshiping idols because idols don't exist. They're fake. And any believer in Jesus, the one true God, the Savior of this world, would know that. And so, in effect, he, he kind of says to them, you know, let's just take this issue of whether any of you are worshiping idols off the table because it only adds fuel to the fire. And then let's focus on the question of whether or not it's wrong uh, to eat this food, including meat, that somebody else has sacrificed to one of these false gods. Because the fact is that there are some things in the eyes of God that are flat out wrong every time. And then there are some things that are so right in the eyes of God that he not only wants us to do them, but he commands us to do them every time. But then there's this third category uh, that exists under the banner of Christian liberty or Christian freedom. And there are things for which God does not command us and he does not forbid us. Or maybe the Bible is silent about them. In, in theological circles, we have a Greek word for it, and that is the word adiaphora, which means indifference. Things neither commanded nor forbidden by God because they're, they're not essential to the faith and they're not a matter of salvation. And, and it appears that this practice falls into that category for St. Paul, who never says that the practice of eating meat sacrificed to idols is wrong, or that refraining from the practice is essential to our faith, or it's a matter of our salvation. And there's a lesson in that for me, to be careful about calling something wrong that God himself has not in his word called wrong, or from which he has set us free and he's given us liberty because the article by which my salvation stands or falls is the article of justification by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, the most important lesson of all. And then Paul goes on to say that while that is most certainly true, and that that lesson alone can resolve a lot of conflicts and it can increase our acceptance of one another, our understanding of one another, even our agreement to disagree about a wide variety of things. It's also true that just because something isn't wrong, that doesn't make it right either. And he explains that by saying to the members of the Corinthian church that if eating meat sacrificed to idols 
create some spiritual confusion on the part of someone who might wonder about your commitment to Christ, if it compromises your witness in some way, if it gets some person to wonder whether they can actually follow Jesus and, uh, and also run with the false gods of this world at the same time, then maybe you ought not to do it. Not because it isn't wrong, or it is wrong, but because it isn't right under the circumstance. And there's a lesson in that for me also, that sometimes it's right for me to use the freedom that I have in Christ, not to do anything that I want to do, but rather to focus on the spiritual condition of the person that I'm talking to or is watching my behavior or how I live my life as a follower of Jesus. And so in that sense, the answer to the question is, well, it depends. Does that make you a hypocrite? Does it make you wishy-washy? Well, I don't think so, because I think it's about what Paul said in the very next chapter of his first letter to the Corinthians when he says, well, I become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. I become as a Jew to the Jews, and I, I get into their culture and, and into their practices, and I was one, and I, and I become as a Gentile to the Gentiles or non-Jews, because sometimes our call in the Spirit is to sacrifice our freedom for the sake of somebody else. And who taught us how to do that but Jesus, our Lord? And that brings us to the next lesson, which is actually the very first lesson that Paul addresses in the passage today. And it has to do with what drives me in my spiritual life as a follower of Christ. And whether it's rules or relationships, whether it's my need to be right or my desire to share love, whether it's the knowledge in my head or the spirit in my heart, whether it's my appetite for the false gods of this world, or whether it is my loving response to the sacrifice of the one who came and gave his life for me, sacrificing his freedom once and for all for my life and its future, so that I can respond with my freedom by loving him, by loving those who he has put in my path and helping them to meet Jesus, to know his sacrifice, to be satisfied with the food of his grace forever. In St. Paul's language, he says, knowledge puffs us up, but love builds us up. And there is nothing in this world more powerful than the transforming love of Christ, built to last in your heart by the Lord of life. Uh, last fall, I uh, led an online presentation for a bunch of people on the topic of ministry during a pandemic, which was about six months into this particular pandemic. And during the presentation, I, I offered up the results of some research that had done, been done by an organization called Lifeway Research, which listed the top 10 pressure points or stressors or sources of anxiety 
that had been experienced in churches, in congregations, among its pastors and other church leaders since the pandemic struck our nation. And and the list, uh, as you might imagine, includes things like health and safety, and isolation, and uncertainty about about the future, and also uh, church finances, um, among some other things. But at the top of the list, number one on the list was conflict about a a number of things ranging from wearing face masks to reopening to worship and maybe even some things that predated the pandemic. I don't know. But it appears, sadly, that the Peacemakers Conference has been canceled due to a conflict. And the first thing I thought to myself when I saw that research was that is about the worst thing that could ever happen to a church at a time like this. That's the last thing that any church needs in the middle of a pandemic. And that is the very last thing that this world with all of its conflicts and disagreements needs to see in the church today. The second thing that came to my mind is that I thank God for the congregation that I have been called to serve. Which is not to say that we don't have a wide variety of different perspectives or opinions or points of view or positions about a number of things that may be important, but they're not essential to our faith. They're not matters of salvation. And yes, we've had our debates and we've had our disagreements. But in the middle of them is always Christ. It's his cross. In a place where love flows and and forgiveness is given and everybody gets a place and faithfulness will always win the day. And that's why I think this passage is relevant to us and it comes with a number of lessons for you and for me. And that's why uh, when I was in the ancient city of Corinth a couple of years ago, and the time came for our group devotion, I asked our daughter Lauren to read Paul's words from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 about the love of Jesus, which is patient and kind, and it bears all things and endures all things, and it never fails. Who through our churches and our faith's number one missionary reminds us today that while some things are wrong, flat out wrong, and some things are right and even commanded by God, there are some things that are going to be left for us to decide with the heart and the mind and the spirit that God gave us as we think not just about our freedom, but about the spiritual condition of the people around us, so that by our lives, we might show them the sacrifice of Christ and invite them from the temple to the church where their hunger will be satisfied and new life will be theirs and ours forever. So that by the grace of God, every conversation has the chance to be a peacemakers conference for his praise and glory for the hope of the world, and because that's who you and I are meant to be. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
Amen.